Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him, in glory. We have a life that is hid in Christ, that we can live in Christ, because Christ honestly is our life. And we've learned many different aspects about what it takes, uh, when, or what takes place in our life when Christ is our life. And this morning, as we come to uh, Colossians chapter 4, we're going to see some examples of others whose life was Christ, and how they lived, and how it affected them, and see some of these characteristics that they had uh, in their lives, again, because they made Christ their life. As we uh, rounded up in uh, chapter 4 last week, we stopped in verse number 6, and so we're going to pick up in verse number 7 here this morning, where the Scripture says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner saluteth you, and Marcus, si- er, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which hath been a comfort unto me. Paphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always. Labor fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, them that are in Hierapopolis. Luke, a beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and in Nymphos and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. So we find the end of this letter that Paul writes, and we find many different names of servants of Christ who 
lived their life in a particular way. And this morning, again, I want to look at these characteristics that we may examine even our own lives to determine whether or not Christ is our life. So let's look at this passage this morning as we consider the examples of those whose life was Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, I thank You. God, You so wonderfully preserved Your Word and this Scripture for us. Your servants are mentioned here in this chapter. Your servants are represented by many in this room this morning. Father, I often wondered if there was to be a letter penned and written to us specifically as a church. What would it say? God, we know that while this letter was written to this church at Colossae, while it was read and, and among other believers outside of that church, there is much application that can be used in our lives today. We thank you for the examples of those that were placed before us, that we might see and hear and know how we ought to behave within your work, within your uh, moving of our lives. God, I pray this morning that we would take these examples from your work, of your choice servants, that we would learn the characteristics that we might apply them even to our own life as our life is hid with your Son, Jesus Christ, that He might be our life at the center of everything we do. God, that you might receive the honor and the glory for it. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Help us. We ask these things. Amen. As we come to this passage, of course, we find multiple different people with multiple different personalities and multiple different characteristics of those that had made Christ their life. And as we look at this this morning, I do want you to strive to examine your life. As we consider the examples that are placed before us today in this particular chapter, that you would take a step back and remove yourself and, and put yourself in this place and say, if this was to be spoken of me, what would be said? Would it be said, could it be said, that Christ is my life? Would it be said of that? Now within this characteristics, there are five things that I'm going to give you very quickly this morning as we consider what the Scripture says and what Paul says about these individuals that are mentioned in Colossians chapter number 4. The first one that he says in verse number 7, he says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you. And so Paul says, I'm sending Tychicus to you, and he's going to tell you and give you an update about everything that's happening in my life. 
But as Paul says that, he says there's something though about Tychicus that I want you to notice. He says, first off, he's a beloved brother and faithful minister. He says the same thing about Onesimus in verse number 9. He says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. One of the things I want you to take note about the characteristics of those who have Christ as their life is they were faithful. They were faithful. Faithful simply means someone or something that is a firm adherence to the truth. One who is consistent or consistent in the performance of their duties or service. They're constant, not fickle. They're not unstable or wavering or inconsistent. I ask you this morning, as we look at these servants, are you a faithful Christian? Are you faithful in the things that God has called you to? Now, in, when we do an examination like I, I'm asking you to do this morning, there are a lot of questions that have to be asked. There are a lot of questions that have to be asked of ourselves within this to determine whether or not we are faithful. Now, here's something that I think is of utmost importance that we, as we examine this, Notice, it is not Tychicus or Onesimus who are the ones that are saying they're faithful. Amen? This is being said about them. And so it's a little difficult as we're doing an examination. Uh, of course, if we're doing an examination and grading uh, our own test this morning... I get, if I'm grading my own test, I'm giving myself an A. There's a reason teachers don't let students grade their own tests. Amen? I mean, there's a reason for that. I mean, when I was in school, we used to have this, this practice that we would maybe have a test or usually on a quiz or something like that. A teacher would say, okay, we're going to grade our quizzes, pencils down. And inevitably... They would then say, okay, I want you to exchange your papers. And you would exchange papers. Why? Well, because if you're grading your own test, there's a temptation to not be honest. I told Rachel, yesterday, she was asking a question, and she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this question here. And I said, dear, don't do that. She said, what do you mean? I said, don't do it. She said, why not? I said, you don't want to tempt people to lie. She still may ask the question. I don't know. I hope not. Uh, but uh, uh, some of you are wondering now. You can ask her later. She may tell you. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to tell you, though, because I told her not to do it. Uh, but I said, you don't want to tempt people to lie. Now, you know this. 
As the Apostle Paul is talking about Tychicus and Onesimus, he says, they're faithful. They're faithful. He says, he's going to come and he's going to bring the state of my affairs. He's going to tell you all that has happened to me. He's going to give you a report of our ministry. And listen, when he comes, you need to know something. He's faithful. Now listen, I, again, I, 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 if I'm grading myself this morning, I, I would, I, again, I'd probably say, man, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm here. But again, there's something a little bit more when someone else deems you to be faithful. It's just something else. So we have to use a little bit of honesty here to say, okay, am I faithful in all things? You see, because we're considering this morning whether or not Christ is our life. Am I faithful? Uh Uh-oh. Do I have an adherence to what is happening in my life? Am I faithful to the things of God? Am I consistent in the performance of my duties and service? I I, I would say uh, consistency is one of my difficulties in life, if I'm being honest this morning. If there's anything I'm consistent at, it's in being inconsistent. But Paul said that Tychicus and Onesimus were faithful. Listen, if you want to know whether or not you're faithful this morning, I would recommend if you are brave enough, if you, are, uh, if you really want to know, don't grade yourself. You might ask someone else. Say, hey, am I, am I faithful? Am I faithful in this? But in this example, he said they're faithful. The second thing that he said, also in verse number 7, he says, a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. In verse number 11, he says about Jesus, who was called Justice, he said, who are of the circumcision, he said, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God which have been a comfort unto me. Listen, not only were they faithful, but they were servants. They were servants. It seemed like they got along with others that worked with them. People liked to be around them. They were beloved. I think that's part of being beloved. Now, we may have servants, we may have workers, we may have all of that, but there's something here about them being servants. They understood that it wasn't all about them and being served. Being served. See, a lot of times we, we get this misunderstanding within, uh, within a congregation. We have this tendency to say, okay, it's, it's my turn to be served. Well... The problem is, is God called us to service and to serve others, not to be served. 
Now, there are times, I'll be honest, there are times where I have to, as a, as a minister, as a person, as a man, uh, where I have to receive service. It's not always easy. Uh, especially in my role and capacity, I'm, I'm really more uh, comfortable serving, I'm more comfortable uh, doing the serving, but on occasion, I have to receive service. And we have to understand that it's not just about being served, it's about serving. Listen, sometimes we, we spend more time noticing what others don't do than on what we should be doing or that we could be serving in, uh, in a service to self. You see, when we do that, what happens is, when we focus more on us being served, you know what that makes us? That makes us our life. That makes us our life. You see, when we come in and we have this idea uh, of what the, what the church should be doing for me, we've missed the mark somewhere. Because it's not about, uh, I love, of course, we've heard it uh, time and time and time again, and it's something that our culture is missing, it's something that we, we've missed, but it's something uh, John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you. Anybody want to finish it? But ask what you can do for your country. Man, what a great quote. Now, we've, we're missing that in our society, though, aren't we? We're missing it. I don't know where, where we've missed the mark in our culture, but, but typically today we have this idea of what's going to be done for me. And, and not only that, but, but it seems like our, even in our leadership, our leadership has shifted from asking of the citizens to what we can do for the citizens. Maybe that's where we've missed the mark. I don't know. But when it comes to the, the service of God, when it comes to the, the church that God has placed us in, it's not about what the church can do for me. It won't, it won't work. It won't last that long. Again, we want to be uh, faithful. We want to be uh, faithful within the service that God has called us to. But in that faithfulness, we have to understand we're servants. And we're servants of God. Oh, amen. I mean, we are His servants that He has called us to. And in the service that He has called us to, He's called us to serve others. And we cannot become the center of our life. It cannot simply be about what the church can do for me or what God can do for me, but have an understanding that I am a servant of God. Within this, not only were they faithful, not only were they servants, but notice in verse number 11 as well, he says, These are my fellow servants unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. They've been a comfort unto me. You see, not only were they servants, not only were they faithful, but they were comforters. They brought a comfort to those that they worked with. For the cause of Christ. Let me ask you something. Do you seek to bring comfort to others you serve with? I mean seek to bring comfort. Because it is something that we have to do on purpose. We've got to seek this. Do you spend more time complaining about what could be or should be done? I'm guilty of that from time to time. 
we, we get into this thing, we say, oh, well, well, this could be done, this should be done. But remember, if we're servants, we have to stop at some point and say, well, this is what I'm going to do. We could just get it done and be a comfort to someone. You know, I mean, how many times do we get this idea in our mind, you, you know, we see an issue, whatever the issue may be, uh, you know, I may, say, I may see Abigail sitting there, and Abigail's upset, and, and I could say, man, you know, somebody, could come, somebody should do something about that. Somebody should comfort her. I mean, she came, she came in this morning, nobody talked to her. And I saw that. But then I stop and I think, well, you know what, I didn't speak to her either. Oh, wait a second. If I just would focus more on bringing a comfort to her, that's a possibility too, isn't it? I could bring a comfort to her. Now, she's not easily comforted. Watch. Want to watch? See? See, she doesn't want to hug, but I'll hug her. Now hold on. Are we seeking to be a comfort to others? You know, there's something about a smile. That a simple smile to somebody can just brighten their day. I will tell you it's much better than this. Both of them are looking at me like that. Oh, they, they smiled. Oh, that's so much better. It makes me feel so much better. It brings a comfort, doesn't it? Just a smile at somebody. A kind word. A kind word. I don't know that there's too many more kind words than letting somebody know you're praying for them. Praying for you. Brings a comfort, doesn't it? There was one time I told someone, I said, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. And, and they stopped. And they said, why? It's a strange question, isn't it? Well, why are you praying for me? And they were almost offended that I had prayed for them. And I had to think for a moment. Because sometimes we think that, that prayer is only needed when there's a problem. That, we think that way, don't we? I have an issue in my life and so I need prayer. No, I need prayer when there's no issue in my life. You know what? You need prayer when there's no issue in your life. But that, again, that individual, they weren't here. This has been several years ago. But, uh, but I, I said that. I said, hey, I'm praying for you. And they said, why? There's nothing wrong in my life. Sometimes we just simply need prayer because prayer brings comfort. They worked with Paul and Paul said, hey, they're coming. They're fellow servants. He said, they're laborers. They, they do this, but they bring a comfort to me. You see, when Christ is our life, I am convinced this morning that our lives will bring a comfort to others. Not only that, but look at verse number 12, Epaphras. He said, who is one of you 
a servant of Christ. We see that again. He said, saluteth you. He said, he said, he says to say hi. And he's laboring fervently for you in prayers. Again, they comforted one another. They served with each other. They were faithful in all that they did. But oh, let me tell you, they fervently prayed. They fervently prayed. Let me ask you something. Is prayer like work for you? Let me just tell you, prayer is work. Prayer is work. And that might be why it's avoided so often. Because it takes work to pray. But he says he fervently labors for you in prayer. I think there's a couple of different ways to pray. I think we can pray fervently. That's one way. That's with earnestness. That is with, a, with an idea that something has to be done. That there is an emergent situation happening. With a sense of urgency, we pray and fervently. But then I think sometimes we pray flippantly. We pray flippantly. In that, like it doesn't matter. We've tried to teach our children when it's, when it's meal time, we, we pray. We sit down, we sit down as a family, and we pray for the meal. And occasionally, I'll pray. Occasionally, one of the kids will pray, or Rachel will pray. And there have been a few occasions that when we pray, and it's time to pray, that it's just a simple, okay, dear God, bless this food, amen. That's when, the, that's when you're really hungry, right? Well, let me ask you something. Is that a fervent prayer? Is that a fervent prayer? I have an uncle. His name's Ed. He's a godly man. Loves the Lord. I'll, I'll be... I'll be in the flesh here for a moment, okay? When it's meal time, don't ask Uncle Ed to pray. He's a fervent prayer. Not that he's energetic, but there's times, I mean, we, we've, we've made the mistake before and say, Ed, would you pray for the meal? And it's like two and a half minutes in. Bellies are grumbling. When I was a kid, I would, I would say things like this. Oh, don't, oh, please, don't ask Uncle Ed to pray. But now as an older adult, I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's get Ed to pray. I know it's going to be two and a half, three minutes for the meal. But I know, I know he's going to get hold of God. Which would you rather have? Which would you rather be? One that prays fervently, that it takes a little bit of work, that it is a little bit of labor? Or one that play, prays flippantly? 
I, I, listen, I've prayed both ways before. But we need to make our prayers for one another a more seriousness and a more serious part of our lives. You see, Christ is our life. And these people that Paul is talking about here, and that of Tychicus and, and Onesimus and, and Aristiticus and, and Justus and, and Marcus and Epaphras, he said they were faithful. So they were servants. So they were comforters. So they were prayers. Number five, can I submit to you this morning? They were zealous for ministry. Notice this. In verse number 13, he said, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. Great zeal for you. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. You have a great zeal for Bailey Road Baptist Church. This is your church. This is our church. You say it that way. This is our church. I mean, if we were to say. Can I meddle for a moment? I'm just going to meddle. If we were to say next week, we're going to have a work day. Would you show up? And we've had a couple of work days. People show up. It's usually a joy. Hold on. I would say people would show up. Not everybody's going to show up. I get that too. Not you know, schedules happen and and that type of thing. But hold on. This is where I'm meddling. Okay. So if you don't want to be meddled, just do this. If I were to say we have a work day, you show up. But if I said, next week, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Would you show up? Statistically speaking, less people show up for a prayer meeting than they do for a work day. Let me explain why I think that is. You can correct me at the door later if you want to. Here's why. And here's the prayer meeting. We're going to have a prayer meeting to pray for our church. That's the prayer meeting. Simply pray for our church. Here's, here's where we miss it. We think often, and we forget often, that the church isn't a building. 
we're going to have a work day. Take care of our church. We see that. We visualize that. That's, oh, of course. Well, we, need some, we need some trees trimmed. We need a, a room painted. Uh, that's, that's our church. The problem is that's not our church. That's the facilities that our church uses. Amen? Listen. You are the church. You, as an individual person, as a family within the body of this congregation, you are the church. We are the church. Look, this building may not always be here. As a matter of fact, I, I, I think I know the history of, of, the, of this church fairly well, and there was a time when this wasn't even the building of this church. Some of you remember that. Some of you were a part of the body of this church when you met in another location. And it changed. And this structure has changed some over the years. But this is simply a building. We are the church. We have to remember that. So I ask you that question, do you have a zeal for Bailey Road Baptist Church? Do you have a zeal for what God has called you to and planted you in? And that zeal is something a little bit more. That zeal is to have a passion. You see, he said that I bear record of him that he hath a great zeal for you. His passion was obvious. But I say not only that in his passion, his performance affected others. Look at this. It says, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and for them that are in Laodicea and them that are in Hierapolis. He said he has a zeal, a passion, and his performance affected others. He had a purpose. He had a purpose within this. Notice in verse number 17, he said about Archippus, he said, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. They had a purpose to be fulfilled. Part of Paul's desire here was to show and to give an example of those that served faithfully alongside of him. He said, read this letter in the churches. Not just there at Colossae, but others. He honored them. Those that were faithful and those that were servants and comforters and prayers and had a zeal for the ministry that God had called them to. He honored them by using them as an example.
What about you? What about you? Next week, we're going to close out this book of Colossians. Where the Scripture says, when Christ, who is our life? This book in Colossians has pointed out to me, and I hope to you as well, that there is this thing of Christ being our life. There's some examples here. There are evidences of things that will happen in your life, in my life, when Christ is my life. There are some evidences that when it's not. There are some things that will take place that will be evidenced in your life, in my life. So what happens? We take the exam. We see the examples, but I ask you one more time this morning, is Christ your life? Is He at the center? Well, we have some examples. Faithful servants who comforted others, who prayed for others, and had a zeal and a passion for the people they served with. This is what's on the test. Now it's time for you and I to take it. It's time for us to take the test. To put it into practice. To decide, I'm going to be faithful. I'm just going to choose to to serve rather than be served. I'm going to seek to be a comfort to someone else. I'll pray for them. Because I have a passion for them and their life. We'll do that when Christ is our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.